Uh, that being said, let's go ahead and look at our time together in Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it was grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will not blot out man with whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things and birds of heaven, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. And now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the, the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth, and make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms on the ark and cover it inside and, and out with pitch. And this is how you're to make them. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 500 or 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a, a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark inside. And make with it lower, second, and third decks. For behold... I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all the flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And in every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They should be male and female, of the birds according to its kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping things of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in and you to keep them alive. Also, with every sort of food that is eaten and stored up, it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Father, we are thankful for the day. We thank you for the, the many blessings that you've given to us. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together in this place. And Lord, I, I, this, I thank you for this church, for their love for you, for their willingness to come here today and worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, I pray that, that we would just continue with that here this morning, that you would give us the grace that is needed to, to worship you. Truly, Father, I pray that you would give us the grace that we need today to do the things that you want us to do, to be the people that you want us to be. I recognize, Lord, that I have a part in this, and so if you would, Lord, forgive me of my sin, cleanse me of the unrighteousness that is in my life, and give me the grace that is needed to preach your word in a way that brings sinners to repentance and believers into a time of renewal in their relationship with you. Lord, if there's someone here today that has never accepted Jesus Christ 
as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. The day where they admit that they are a sinner, believe that Jesus is God's Son, and confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. For the believer that's here today, I pray, Lord, that you would give them the grace they need to, to continue to be faithful. Whatever that means for them, Lord. You know their condition, you know their heart, you know their maturity. You know the type of spiritual food that they need. And so I pray that as we come to your word, that it would penetrate their heart, they would pierce them, Lord. That they would know your will for their life. Lord Jesus, we love you. And pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. A few years back, prior to coming to Missouri, I was traveling to Duluth, Minnesota. I was in northwest Wisconsin on hauling a commercial load from Indianapolis to Duluth, Minnesota. And uh, prior to getting into Duluth on the Wisconsin side, there's a, a way station in the median of that road. And they, they take their way stations kind of serious in Wisconsin. I mean, they are... they. You don't want to skip out on road inspection day on that day. You know, I mean, they just, they make sure that everything's done right. I, I went into that way station and I uh, had an officer uh, come to me, a trooper, come to me. And he, first thing he did is he checked the, the window tent on my truck, on my windows. And uh, he had a little device, he just stuck right on it. And he just checked the, the degree of that tent. And he, he said, that window tent is too dark. And I said, okay, well, what do, you, what do I need to take it down to? What, what, what degree? He goes, you need to take it down to factory tent. I said, well, sir, that, that, that actually is factory tent. He goes, no, it's not. I said, yes, it is. He goes, no, it's not. I said, yes, actually it is. I said, he goes, no, it's not, sir. And he kind of gave me this look like, if you knew, if you know what's best for you, you're going to stop talking right now, you know. And there was a part of me for a minute, for maybe not even a minute, for a second maybe, that I thought maybe I should shut my mouth right now. If I was wise. But it was one of those days where I just, I mean, I wasn't very wise, you know. And so I opened my mouth and needless to say, I went from that place with a ticket, you know, for too dark a window tent. This is a true story. I went to the dealership when I got back from that trip. And I said, hey, I need my window tent to be brought back to factory. And the service manager of that shop said, well, that is factory tent. I said, I know. But the guy in Wisconsin doesn't know that, so do me a favor and write a ticket so that it says that. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we say things we shouldn't. Sometimes we do things that we shouldn't. There's a story about a young boy who got into trouble on his first day of middle school. I'm sure you've heard about this. First day at middle school, he got in trouble, and his, his teacher wrote him a note to his parents and said, hey, little Johnny here got into trouble, but the, when he came home, his mom and dad weren't around. So on the second day, he came to school. He got in, into a fight, and the, the, the teacher actually called his mom this time, and no one answered the phone. So on the third day, 
Another Johnny came to school and the principal of the school pulled Johnny into his office and at the office was little Johnny's grandpa. And the grandpa said to Johnny, he said, hey, there are, there are two dogs living inside of you. One dog is a, a good dog and the other one is, is bad, is evil. And they're, they're, they're waging a war, they're fighting and one of them is going to win. And if you know this story, this parable, you know what Johnny asks, right? Well, which dog is going to win? And you know what Grandpa says. Whichever dog you what? You feed the most. Now, there, isn't, there aren't two dogs living inside of us, or there weren't two dogs living inside of little Johnny, but there is a, a battle that's going on, right, inside of us. And our, and our soul, I mean, there is good and evil that's being fought, right? We, we have this battle that's going on. And in our passage of Scripture for today, we see what happens when we feed the evil dog. When we allow for evil to take root, we actually see a time in history where evil was so pervasive that good was nowhere to be found. The only good that was to be found was, was one man. Noah. The difference between these stories, I'm sorry, when we, we think of the story of Noah's ark, we, I, I, at least I do, I, I think about Sodom and Gomorrah, the story of Sodom. I mean, I just think there's a lot of parallels between these two stories. But the difference is with the story of, of Noah, I mean, this is really, I mean, it's, it's all over. And Sodom and Gomorrah, it's more localized, right? I mean, in Sodom and Gomorrah, it's, a, it's an epidemic. And in and, and Noah's Ark, it's a pandemic. I mean, it's global. It has reached all corners of the earth. Evil is everywhere. You cannot go somewhere where there is not evil. You cannot find a room in an inn, friends, where there is not something going on that shouldn't be going on. It's everywhere. Verse 5 says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, verse 7, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land and man and animals are creeping things and birds of the heaven for I am sorry that I have made them. Every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was continually what? Evil. Not just evil, but continually evil. I, I have a couple of friends who are guards in prisons. And they tell me that there is not, I mean, like, it doesn't matter what you do at this prison. The first thing that you have to do and have to be trained on is how to be a prison guard. Because there's not a time when you're in that building when you're not on guard. I mean, you're constantly surrounded by evil. And you have to be guarding yourself and protecting yourself and your fellow co-workers from that evil at all times. Can you imagine a world where that is the case? I mean, at least as a prison guard, you can kind of go home from that, right? I mean, there's some sort of relief. But if you live in a world where it's continually evil all the time, where it's constantly 
evil. Every man, every thought, every was corrupt and evil. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't know how, how you live like that. The anxiety, the worry, the... I mean, can you imagine trying to leave your wife and children at home, men? Can you imagine going on a, a hunting trip? Can you imagine taking a trip to Duluth, Minnesota? I mean, I don't... If that's what you have to deal with every single day, the anxiety... I mean, I'm not sure about you, but I'm, I, I kind of consider my, like I, I'm responsible for my family. I don't know how I'd live like that. This is what's happening in Genesis chapter 6. We go from chapter 3 where Adam and Eve are literally eating a wrong piece of fruit to in Genesis chapter 6 we have evil everywhere. Every man's heart was, I mean that's just kind of a, I mean you talk about escalating things quickly I mean this is just it goes from bad to worse quick does it not God was sorry that he made them I mean God made a decision to blot out all of man and animals from the earth I, I would like for you to think about God this way friends that God is a spirit God does not actually have a heart like man has a heart he does not have eyes like we have eyes. God is a spirit. He's not bound to a human body like we are bound to this body. I mean, if that was the case, then God wouldn't be able to be at all places at all times, right? I mean, so God is spirit. John 14, sorry, John 4, 24 reads, teaches us that God is spirit. And we are to worship him in spirit and in what? Truth. Let me just say this and we'll move on. Though God doesn't have a, a heart like we have a heart, he doesn't have eyes like we have eyes, it doesn't mean that God didn't see what was going on. Nor does it mean that God wasn't actually grieved over the condition of man, over man's condition. God is genuinely concerned and worried. Not just about their spiritual condition, but he is grieved and concerned over your spiritual condition i mean i hope you know that right i hope you know that when you sin when you're disobedient to god when your heart is full of evil and your intentions are are ill that bothers god i hope you know that and understand that god doesn't want that for your life that God sees that and he's he's bothered by it I, I hope you understand that, that God sent his son Jesus Christ to, to die for your sins because he loves you and doesn't want that life for you I mean God sees this in Genesis chapter 6 and he is legitimately grieved by it I mean this is giving us a an insight into the character of our God that when God sees something like this going on he is grieved by it. He's saddened by it. It hurts him. God is not unemotional. God is not a God that just does not care. He's compassionate, loving, and kind, and considerate. But he's also just. 
He's righteous. He's pure. He's perfect. And when you sin, when you're disobedient, it grieves our God. As bad as the world was at this time, there was one man who found favor in the eyes of God. Verse 8. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. He walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Why did God find favor with God? <laughs> I'm sorry. Why did Noah find favor with God? I mean, what do we know about him? I mean, there's, he was righteous. He was blameless in his generation, and he walked with God. Other than that, all we know is that he had three sons, right? I mean, up to this point in the story, this is all we know about this guy. There's a theme throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament especially, but the people who find favor with God were what? Are what? Righteous. I mean, if you look last week at the, when we had our guest speaker here, I mean, the story of Joseph, right? I mean, Joseph is an example of a man that was, that was righteous and, and good. He found favor with God. But that doesn't mean that he was perfect. Noah wasn't perfect. But he had found favor with God because he was righteous. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you compare yourself to other people? And you think, well, I'm not that bad. I mean, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. I mean, I, I look at Noah, and Noah was a guy that, I mean, he was righteous. But he, you look at the other people around him, I mean, they were, they were all evil, right? I mean, so maybe it's just relative, you know, moral relative. I mean, maybe it's just the fact that all the people around I mean, maybe it just wasn't all that, really all that good, but maybe just people around him were just all that bad, and he just kind of, but that's not what the text says. The text says that he was righteous, that he walked with God. You don't know how to become a, a righteous man, a righteous woman. Walk with your Lord. Walk with God. And I'm not sure about you, but in my life, when it's the hardest to walk with God, isn't when everybody around you is good. As a matter of fact, it's honestly, <laughs> it's, it's, when I'm around good people, it's guess what? It's contagious. You know, when I'm around y'all, some of y'all, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, it's, it's good. It's easy. And other times it's like, man, it's, I'm around other people. Whew. I have a friend of mine, uh, a parishioner, actually a past parishioner, worked in a factory back in Indiana. He said, Jeff, this is not a hot spot of righteousness. It's a challenge to go to work every single day and be the man that God calls me to be. Because I struggle with it. 
Those guys are on their phone looking at things they shouldn't be looking at. They're talking about things they shouldn't be talking about. They're using words that <laughs> I don't want them in my head. Because it's a challenge every single day to walk through those doors and be the man that God wants me to be. Friends, I, I, I mean, I, I know some of you don't work in this building. The challenges that you face each and every day are greater than I would face in a year. A few years back, Trey Gowdy left Congress. He was a congressman out on the East Coast, South Carolina, I believe it was. He said, I'm returning to the courtroom where my skills will be better utilized. Then he said this, as I look back at my career, it's the jobs that seek and reward fairness that are most rewarding. Not a great pitch to be a congressman, is it? I'll go back and do something else instead of being here. <laughs> Noah is an example, friends, that it's possible to be surrounded by evil and live a life that honors God. Some of you, again, are surrounded by evil on a daily basis. And Noah should be a hero of the faith of what it looks like to be a man or a woman that's surrounded by evil and yet possible to be faithful. To be a man that walks with God. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I would destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and Covered inside and out with pitch. And this is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with the lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And every and of every living thing of all of the flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They should be male and female, of the birds according to its kinds, and the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort of shall come into you to keep them alive. And also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him. God commands Noah to build an ark because he intends to turn the world upside down, friends. I don't, I don't believe this is annihilation. This is God's judgment of the earth. This is God's judgment of the evilness of man. Some of you might be asking yourself, how can God do such a thing? And the reality is, how could God not do this? Getting into next week's sermon here, I don't want to go too deep with this conversation. But friends, our actions have consequences. God is just. He is holy. 
he is righteous. The ark that God is telling Noah to build is massive. Honestly, if you want to go see a, a life-size example of what the ark actually looked like, go to Kentucky. Uh, my family and I went down there a few years ago, just south of Cincinnati. If you're ever in the Cincinnati area, take an hour, uh, not an hour, take a day rather, and, and go drive the hour down and, uh, and spend it. And, and just, even if you don't believe the ark narrative, even if you think it's phooey, go, I mean, it's, it's so impressive to see. It's so, I mean, it is worth the price of a mission, friends. It truly is. It's beautiful. But it's just massive. I mean, it is an incredibly overwhelming structure. Noah was given explicit detail about how to build the ark. What are you supposed to put in it? We'll get a little bit more detail about this in the coming weeks. Uh, I, I think it's I mean, it never rained, you know. It never rained. And God is telling this man, build an ark, you know, in your backyard. The act of faithfulness on Noah's part is incredible. I mean, imagine someone in your neighborhood Someone in this county building something of that size in the South 40 of their property. I mean, they would be labeled the biggest weirdo in town. I mean, and we don't live in near the evil world that Noah lived in. Can you imagine the criticism that he faced on a daily basis? Can you imagine the the comments, him going to the grocery store and... I mean, people just taking pictures with their iPhone and just posted it on Instagram. I mean, they just, I mean, they must have had a field day with this boy. I mean, can you imagine what it must have been? I, I, I'm amazed by it. I mean, God just said, go do this. I mean, he spent years doing it, friends. Years of his life building this thing. I, uh, I, I don't think we live in a world that is, that is, as evil as it was during this time. But make no mistake about it, evil is all around us. It's surrounded us. I mean, we don't have to turn on the TV very long to see it. We don't have to get on CNN or Fox News or whatever and find that there is evil all around us, that people are genuinely evil and their intentions are evil. On April 19, 1995, a man drove a U-Haul truck full of explosives to a federal building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. He killed 182 people and injured injured hundreds more. The man behind it was a guy named Timothy McVeigh. Uh, You know, if you study his life, 
you, you'll see that he's a pretty normal kid growing up, kind of quiet, kind of shy, not unreasonable, not a bad kid, not a stellar student, but smart kid at the same time. Graduated from high school. He ended up joining the Army. And, I mean, he did very well in the Armed Forces. If you look at the, the war, the, the medals that he received and his service, it's impressive. Quite impressive. He actually attempted to, to join the Special Forces. Washed out, got whatever you want to say here. Left the army on an honorable discharge, and uh, he became really focused on the the Branch Davidians down in Waco, Texas. If you know this story, you, you know that he just took an unhealthy approach to what was happening down there. A psychologist said this about Timothy, a psychiatrist. John Smith concluded that McVeigh was a decent person who allowed a rage to build up inside of him to the point that he had lashed out in one terrible and violent act. A decent person who allowed a rage to build up inside of him to the point that he lashed out in one terrible act. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if you agree with that. But we see throughout Scripture, we saw it here just a few weeks ago when we looked at Cain and Abel, the story of Cain and Abel, how you had a, a guy who evil was at his door and he allowed for that evil to overcome him. And the truth of our lives is that we're not Timothy McVeigh and I, don't, I doubt anybody here has that kind of capacity inside of them. But at the same time, friends, we, there is a, a battle that is going on in each of us, a battle of evil and good. And the reality is, is that we can't just allow for evil to overcome us. And we can't allow for evil to overcome our communities, the world that we live in. We have to stand up and do something and fight against it. We have to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, this is the answer, answer to evil. It's not more laws. It's not in a politician. It's not in education, but it's in the gospel of Jesus Christ, friends. If hearts are truly going to change in the world around us, A, it has to start with us, but then it has to be proclaimed by us to other people that this is our hope. This is the answer to evil. You know, I, I truly do believe that God calls us to do things sometimes that are just, I mean, absolutely crazy. I mean, I'm from the outside world, it makes no sense at all for us to do some of the things that we do. I mean, even being here today for a lot of people is just weird. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you're, you're coming here today dressed up in your Sunday best. You're going to take a, a morning of rest, I mean, you can spend with your family, sleeping in, in your own bed. You could, you could do anything. You, you could travel. You could, and you're going to come and 
sing songs and listen to some tall, ugly, bald guy preach a, a message? I mean, like, and then you're going to give 10% of your income? I mean, like, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, just being here today is weird. By all, I mean, it's just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. If you go to your work and you tell them about what you did today, they're like, that's, that's, that's a weirdo. I mean, that guy's odd. That, that girl is strange. And then you tell them about what God is doing and how, who God is calling you to be and where God is calling you to go and what God's calling you to do. And you're going you're gonna to go and do that stuff? I mean, you're going to go to Ecuador? You're going to go to Guatemala? You're going to go to India? You're going you're to go do these things? And you're going to tell other people? I mean, it's strange. I mean, last night I watched... A, that's a bad illustration. I won't use that one. <laughs> there are times where God calls you to do things. And, and there's not a logical, rational reason for it, friends, besides... I believe within my heart, this is what God is wanting me to do. You look at the story, no, it makes no logical sense for him at all to build that ark. None. I mean, there wasn't rain, friends. I mean, the idea of a flood, it makes no sense. You're going to put a dinosaur in that bow? <laughs> you're going to put a, a bear in that bow? I mean, you're going to, you're going to do what? Huh. God wants you to do what? He wants you to go where? What? God's going to call you to do a lot of strange friends, a lot of strange things, friends. Righteousness, faithfulness is not strange, though. It's not odd. That. The alternative to righteousness is evil. There isn't another alternative. It's either righteousness or disobedience. Faithfulness or disobey. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together in this place. Father, I pray that as we come to a time of conclusion in our service that we look at your word and understand how it applies to our life. And not just as a, as a, as a church, but as individuals, Lord. Lord, help us to understand that you are calling us to faithfulness, you're calling us to righteousness, and that you're, you're calling us to leave behind a world that's evil. That's unrighteous, that has a tendency, a, a natural tendency to disobey your will. So, Father, as we come to this time, give us the grace that we need to honor you, to get a glimpse of your will for our life, and to know what the next step is to take. And Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, I pray, Lord, that this story about one man who God used will give us a glimpse of the, the need for Jesus Christ, one man, to save all of humanity. 
We need Jesus. And I pray that each and every one here today knows that they need Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of life. Father, forgive us when we come up short and help us to be the people that you want us to be, to do the things you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,